What up, y'all? Welcome to Queer Walk, the podcast, the bi-weekly speakeasy. Yes, okay, all right. <laughs> Andre told me they like the sound of that. I like the sound of that, too. The bi-weekly speakeasy for queer folks of color, queer women of color. Y'all know we family over here. My name is Dr. Money, uh, your friendly host. And um, shout out to everybody who has officially outgrown every pair of pants they owned before the pandemic, my thighs and my ass and my belly are with you in solidarity. So <laughs> shout out to everybody who got to get new pants through the pandemic. <laughs> and it's still free BG till BG free. All right, let's go ahead and drop the intro and get into this episode. Love your chocolate demeanor and your cocoa kisses. I see your flow from a distance. Your vibe incite my submission. I give you all of me. Wanna make you proud of me. We see the God in all you do. Your light is harmony. Every type, darkest night, brightest light, I'm loving your soul They hate you, replace you, take you, but know that you go Worldwide from every continent, I just want you to jig a little bit Move them hips, feel that bliss, hug your sister, make a fist Don't resist your temptation, you amazing, no limitation My favorite in this matrix, we move by your vibration And that's love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love, I hope you hear that on the daily Cause baby you love I hope you hear that on the daily, cause baby, you love, you love. Okay, so if you are listening and can hear the sound of my voice, that means you found um, Queer Walk somewhere on <laughs> the audio streets, but you can listen to us on all your favorite uh, podcast platforms, that's Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, um, Google Podcast, if anybody listens over there. Um, all the places. And you can find us out on the social media streets at um, Queer Walk Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Over on Facebook, I will admit I'm way less active over there. Facebook get on my nerves. But nevertheless, we over there. Facebook.com slash Queer Walk Pod. Tumblr, where it all began at QueerWalk.com. And if you... If this is not your first time listening to Queer Walk and you love the podcast, want to see more of the podcast, please contribute. (laughs) You can contribute to Queer Walk one of two ways. Um, The first is monetarily. You can head over to the Patreon where I have new patron exclusive stuff coming. So a lot of y'all responded and said that you would love a series on personality disorders uh, from the DSM. I know everybody is up in the tizzy about uh, diagnoses in the DSM right now because the new one is finna drop. But those are deep dives. And so I think I'm just going to put them on Patreon. So if you would like to hear the patron exclusive mental moments, (laughs) head over to patreon.com slash queerwalkpod to become a patron. I have some suggested tiers there, but you can contribute as much or as little as you would like monthly to sustain Queerwalk. If you don't want to do a monthly contribution, I get it. You can hit me off one time for the one time at the Cash App, which is dollar sign Queer Walk Pod, P-O-D. The other way you can support 
is by doing it. You know, su- support is a verb, not by doing it. Well, maybe by doing it. Shoot. <laughs> Some sex magic manifestation for Queer Walk. <laughs> you can support Queer Walk by doing the R's. You can rate Queer Walk wherever you're listening, review the podcast, leave a review if that's possible where you're listening, request a Queer Walk, Queer Pock of the week, a topic, a mental moment, repost the episodes when I post them, retweet when you see me on the Twitter streets, and reply. Send me an email at QueerWalkPod at gmail.com, or you can use the hashtag QueerWalk to talk all things the podcast. Alrighty, so I'm moving on along to the Queer Walk, Queer Walk, Queer Walk of the week. The Queer Walk slash Queer Pock of the week segment is where I highlight, shout out, celebrate, salute some queer woman of color or queer person of color that I think is doing something dope or who I think y'all should know about. And this Queer Walk of the Week is no different. Queer Walk of the Week this week is narrative nonfiction writer and famed biographer Valerie Boyd. Um, So Valerie Boyd is probably uh, best or like most well-known for writing the biography of Zora Neale Hurston. You know, the um, elevated ancestor Zora Neale Hurston (laughs) and later um, for her work at the University of Georgia, where she was a writing professor. Um, But really, Valerie did so much to help bring diversity to the, like, world of Southern literature, narrative nonfiction writing, and really helped usher usher in, like, a whole generation of women of color as journalists. And unfortunately, in February, uh, Valerie died of cancer uh, in Atlanta, And she was only 58. And so I want to tell y'all a little bit more about Valerie and her accomplishments, but also everything I saw covering her death, none of it mentioned she was a lesbian. So shout out and salute to our, um, you know, black lesbian foremothers who like walked these paths before us, you know? So like I said, Valerie was probably most well known for her biography of Zora Neale Hurston called Wrapped in Rainbows, The Life of Zora Neale Hurston, published in 2003. Um, But that book took her almost 10 years to write. So I'm going to tell y'all a little bit about her journey to writing the um, biography of Zora Neale Hurston. So Valerie Boyd, from very early in her life, was a Black person who valued the rich culture that Black folks had to contribute to the world. And she really wanted to represent that in her writing and in her work in every way possible. Um, so, And that's how she discovered Zora Neale Hurston. As a freshman at Northwestern University, she first read uh, Zora Neale Hurston's 1937 novel, Their Eyes Were Watching God. And she quickly fell in love with Hurston after reading that. Articles published about her, um, which I will link in the description of this episode, uh, described her as like devouring all of Zora Neale Hurston's books after reading Their Eyes Were Watching God. Um, And I think I've heard a lot of people have that reaction to her writing. It's just like, oh, my gosh. And then just like swallow everything they can find written by Zora Neale Hurston. And so every year 
um, Eatonville, Florida, which uh, is where Zora Neale Hurston grew up, has a festival that honors her. I did not know this at all. But yeah, so every year they have this festival in Eatonville, Florida. And so, of course, Valerie, inspired by her work as a freshman, goes to the festival um, and ends up meeting this white dude named Robert Hemingway. Anyway, so he's the he's the white dude who first wrote a book about Zora Neale Hurston. Um, And so in meeting uh, Valerie at that uh, festival, he was like, yeah, this really should have been written by a black woman. And Valerie was like, yeah, I'm that black woman. (laughs) Yeah, I'm that black woman who should have wrote it. You should have set your ass down. (laughs) This is my ad libbing. But this is what I imagine that energy was, right? Like, you know, it should have been done by a black woman. Why you ain't sit this one out? Anyway, (laughs) Valerie goes on to complete her degree. And then she moves to Florida to focus on writing and to be closer to where Zora Neale Hurston grew up, um, where a lot of her uh, work was celebrated um, and to, to really just work on the writing. In the New York Times article about Valerie, it says that she would reward herself with going to the beach after a day of writing. And she did that for 10 years. She committed to writing this uh, biography of Zora Neale Hurston and once completed, published Wrapped in Rainbows, The Life of Zora Neale Hurston. So Wrapped in Rainbows was immediate was a hit immediately. Um, the same year it was published, it won the 2003 Nonfiction Prize for Southern Book Awards. And I had to look up what a narrative nonfiction was because, I mean, I feel like I could kind of guess from the languaging of it. But to understand Valerie's impact on diversifying the genre, (laughs) I wanted to make sure I was understanding what I was reading. So essentially, narrative nonfiction is when you write a true story in such a compelling way that they could basically like turn it into a movie or something, right? So um, an example would be, you know, everybody's watching Inventing Anna, right? So like, that's an example of narrative nonfiction. Um something like The Blind Side, that Sandra Bullock movie, you know, (laughs) like that's narrative nonfiction. And even as I give, as I think of these examples off the top of my head, the genre was like hella white, right? Even the New York Times um, obit writer who wrote Valerie Boyd's obituary said that, you know, narrative nonfiction uh Prior to uh, Valerie's work and mentorship of women of color in the genre, it you would open up a, non, a narrative nonfiction journal and it'd be all white men published in it, right? So that's not the case anymore. She um, has mentored and had and helped to publish a decade of women of color and folks of color writers in the narrative nonfiction. Uh, genre. So kind of like single-handedly took the <laughs> the resources of the University of Georgia and diversified a whole genre. And for the past few years, um, Valerie had been working closely with uh, Alice Walker to edit her journals into um, a forthcoming book called 
Gather Blossoms Under Fire, the journals of Alice Walker, 1965 to 2000. And that's what she was working on. I think it's going to come out later this year. But that's what Valerie was working on when she passed. So just thinking of all her friends, you know, holding them close. Um, And so I just wanted to, you know, give her her flowers and sing her praises here. Unfortunately, I didn't I didn't know that she was queer before she passed. So also wanted to like add that as a legacy and let her know that we see her as an ancestor. And I really can't wait to read this book. I have a lot of Zora Neale Hurston, but I do not have Wrapped in Rainbows. So I encourage y'all to read Valerie's work. Learn something about, you know, Zora was out here writing all the Southern black culture and conjure secrets, you know, so <laughs> so I would love to hear about her life um, and read about it. So Ashe to Valerie Boyd, and um, I celebrate you as Queer Rock of the Week this week. It's time for that black feminist healing this, that, real shit, not make believe. Come on, money, please help me get my shit together. I listen to the moment when times get rough. Put all my headphones, turn it all the way up. Who's gonna give you grounding tips? There's nobody better. Oh, money, help me get my shit together. <laughs> All right, y'all. So I'm going to move it on along to the mental moment with me, Dr. Money. And the mental moment with money is just where I share some um, coping strategies, mental health tidbits, or just something to help alleviate, you know, the weight of the world. (laughs) Um, Diamond had asked me why I liked being a therapist. And I was like, ooh, that's a good question. Or why I went into being a therapist. And I think My answer to that was to make the bullshit feel survivable. And so I really hope that the mental moment does that in some way, (laughs) because this is like where I insert this part of me into the podcast. But today I want to I don't feel like I've hit y'all with an acronym in a while. So I'm going back to my roots and hitting y'all with an acronym. I wanted to discuss how to enjoy a mental health day and enjoy is an acronym. Okay. (laughs) Um, It's an acronym for just like a loose template of what to do when you take a mental health day so that you can rejuvenate and not just vegetate. You know what I mean? (laughs) Oh, look at me. Look at me me rhyming. Okay. Okay. So rejuvenate instead of just like, you know, lay on a couch all day, which sometimes is necessary, but if you want to have a rejuvenating mental health day, I think I think I gave you I'm giving y'all a good uh, template to enjoy it. So first, um, I'm going to put the link to this poll by the APA, which, OK, I, I want to take a little like pit stop real quick uh, to talk about. I've seen really mixed reactions to the new version of the DSM coming out. For folks who aren't in mental health fields, um, (laughs) the the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which is essentially the book that therapists, um, counselors, mental health practitioners, psychiatrists, all the folks use to diagnose mental health disorders, right? 
It's most importantly for me as a, a private practice therapist. Um, it has the diagnostic criteria, like what we look for to see that somebody is struggling with something and the codes that we use to bill. So the frustrating thing about managed care is like we have to prove to insurance companies why you need services so they can pay us. Right. And so um, sometimes that means giving you a diagnosis code so that we can we can bill for the services and say, hey, this person deserves services because of this. Um, and then the insurance company would be like, all right, well, we only paying 60%. And then you'd be like, nah, we, we need you to pay. <laughs> it's a whole thing with managed care. But y'all probably know, you know, uh, if you have uh, ever had health insurance coverage, how much of a hassle it is. So, but that's what the DSM is. And a lot of folks are really upset right now because uh, like prolonged grief or something like that was added to the new version. So the DSM is currently in its fifth edition. Um, and so the new one that's coming out will be the fifth one revised, basically. Y'all know how I, <laughs> y'all have seen a piece of my grief journey over the last year. And all I feel like I want to say about people's reactions to the new DSM is, um, first of all, it proves how socially defined and constructed uh, diagnoses are, um, how responsive they are to our times. I don't think it's an accident that prolonged grief is like added to a DSM that came out, you know, two and a half years into a pandemic. And the second thing I will say is I know folks feel like it's in the DSM, therefore that means it's pathologizing it. I feel kind of mixed about that. Because now folks can get therapeutic services for grief. Like your diagnosis could be grief and you can just be billing your insurance for therapy sessions to deal with grief. Um, a lot of grief groups are just pay out of pocket. So I think this opens up grief therapy to a whole bunch of folks who otherwise wouldn't have been able to access grief therapy. And my grief therapy group was so transformative for me and my grieving process that I think everybody should have access to grief therapy. So I don't know. I'm, I'm open to hearing why folks think prolonged grief should not be in the DSM. But I, I just, I feel opposite than what I've been seeing about it. So that's all. That's all. I think in a in a society that is so suppressed by capitalism, <laughs> you know, it's like how we don't have any like rituals or spaces to grieve out loud and in public or even in community. Mental health has kind of stepped in to fill that void. And now that it's a diagnosis in the DSM, people can actually seek services for it. So I just... I don't know. That's how I feel. But again, y'all have y'all have witnessed part of my grief journey. So take it take it from my subjective experience. <laughs> okay, that was a that was a total aside. That has nothing to do with the mental health. See, I always say I'm not gonna do a deep dive and that I want to put the deep dives on Patreon, but then I end up doing stuff like this. Okay. A new poll by the APA, which is the <laughs> 
the the body that puts out the DSM. <laughs> um, the APA did a, a basically a survey on stress uh, during the pandemic. And to nobody's surprise, they found that um, working Americans are more stressed than ever. I don't know why they differentiated like employed versus unemployed, but they did. So what they found is that 32% of non-POC folks reported um, an increase in stress, even like having a hard time doing daily living tasks and feeling really overwhelmed with stress. Folks of color, even higher percentage, 47%, almost half of folks of color reported um feeling overwhelmed by daily tasks since the pandemic has started. The survey also found that um, younger adults, so like younger millennials and, and uh, older Gen Zers, also reported um, higher uh, rates of stress and more hopelessness about the future. So feel less prepared to like make life decisions for themselves. And also to nobody's surprise that parents reported almost a 40% increase in um, stress since the pandemic. So I feel like this is really important because the pandemic has not gone anywhere, even though a lot of functioning around us may make it feel like it has. Uh, People are still impacted by the effects of COVID. People are still out of work because of the effects of COVID. The pandemic has not gone anywhere. (laughs) And so that tells me that we're still stressed. And I've been, I think, I feel like I've been talking about stress kind of all year with my (laughs) mental moments, but our bodies cannot differentiate where the stress is coming from. So whether we're sitting there ruminating on something that we wish wouldn't have happened or anxious about something that we don't want to happen in the future or whether it's chronic pain, or whether it's an upcoming test, like our body cannot differentiate between stressors. Our hormones respond the same, right? So what that means is that when we reach a certain level of stress, our body just reacts. It just does what stress does to body. So we like elevated blood pressure, um, All the things that elevated cortisol levels do to us, it burns us out. Stress burns us out. Our bodies do not do well with chronic stress. So one of the ways that we can like stave off or prevent ourselves from burning out is to take a break. (laughs) If, If like the APA knows nothing else, it knows that like, not taking a break is a surefire way to lead to burnout. So all of this, all of this, like, you know, hustle mentality and no days off. I, I want to see those, <laughs> those people, um, on the days that they collapse. Cause they not posting them days, but I'm sure they're happening because all stress related research points to you need a break, right? Our bodies are too sensitive to stress And the surefire way to burn out is to keep pushing through it and not take a break. So I propose taking a mental health day 
or what other people like to call call it in black or call it in queer, <laughs> you know, <laughs> however you can take a day off. Um, I love to take a Wednesday break. That Wednesday break just hit different. I'm, I don't know what it is about it, but it's like middle of the week. I'm not doing nothing for work. Ooh, ooh. It just feels different than when I plan these Sundays to do nothing, you know? It's just something about, ooh, everybody else at work and I'm at Trader Joe's at 2 p.m. It just, I don't know. <laughs> I heavily encourage y'all to take a Wednesday mental health day. It just hit different. Or maybe even a Thursday. Mm. And then you go back for the one day for a Friday. Yeah. <laughs> So here's my suggestion for how to enjoy a mental health day. So enjoy. E is for emotional to-do list. One of the biggest things that keeps us in stress mode and burnt out is rollover stress from day to day. So I propose starting your mental health day with just like an emotional to-do list dump. What are the things that keep you from getting a good night's sleep? What are the things that are constantly turning over in your mind on that hamster wheel? What are the emails that you know you got to send, <laughs> but you haven't gotten around to? List them out. Don't, don't even worry about full sentences. Just kind of emotionally dump them. You do not want these things running through your mind like the Tomb Raider on your mental health day off. So just start with an emotional to-do list dump. List them all out. And you what you might find is that some of these are really accomplishable and easy to check off. It's just that the stress and the like momentum to get it checked off, it hasn't been there because you've been so stressed and, and burnt out, right? So, so maybe seeing that thing listed out on your emotional to-do list will make it seem less intimidating and you can actually just knock it out. But yeah, you don't want that stuff on your mind all day. So just wake up, grab a pen and paper and write it out. Um, hopefully when I do this, I find that the stuff that I'm stressed about is actually not that long of a list. But when it's in my mind, it feels so long and the list feels so big. But then I write it down and I'm like, oh, that's only three things. <laughs> so hopefully you have that experience with your emotional to-do list dump too. N is for take a nap. Naps are empirically supported <laughs> to reduce stress. I feel like at one point on this podcast, I was a sleep evangelist. I was talking about sleep hygiene, um, how to have better sleep and all this stuff. I, I know I've done... Um, like mental moments on sleep before. So I should not have to convince y'all. And if you've ever had a good, good nap, a good nap in the middle of a day nap, sleeping in a place you don't usually sleep nap, then you know how good naps can hit. <laughs> I would encourage you on your um, mental health day, though, to try to limit your nap to actually a nap, like a power nap, right? Like, hmm. An hour is pushing it, but try to take like a little power nap, right? You don't want to sleep so long that you end up throwing off your sleep schedule, but I do encourage you to rest on your mental health day. If you're not a napper, like if you're someone who 
once you up, then it's stuck until you back to sleep at night. Maybe take this time to knock out something on that emotional to-do list that you listed. Or maybe do something else that's slow and restorative for your body. Maybe like some restorative yoga, some stretching, or maybe even a meditation practice. But my go-to is a nap. (laughs) J is for joy activity. I told y'all about the happy hormones. Get outside and do one thing that brings you joy. For me, it's either walking to a coffee shop in my neighborhood and, you know, trying out a new dairy-free pastry, or it's talking to a family member. Um, Me and my sisters use Marco Polo all the time. I love that app. So getting outside and, like, taking a walk and Marco Polo and my sisters, that's just, like, two things that spark joy for me. Being outside and talking to my sisters. So, a joy activity. O is for outline what you need to not burn out. So I wrote some questions here, and maybe I'll put them in the description of this episode to help you outline what you need to kind of harness the energy of a, a mental health day throughout your days. How can you tell when you're not functioning at your best? How can you tell when work is taking over your life? For me, it's when I have dreams about sessions. When I start dreaming about sessions, I know my ass is burnt out. (laughs) I'm tired, (laughs) okay? (laughs) How can you notice stress before it gets critical? Does your body respond to stress in a certain way? I get stress migraines. I definitely know my migraines are linked to stress because my, you know, My um, glasses prescription is up to date and I still be getting these migraines. So they are stress induced. So that is a way that my body tells me I'm stressed. I also hold a lot of stress in my shoulders. So sometimes I'll notice that my shoulders are like real close to my ears (laughs) and I'll have to remind myself to drop them. Um, Maybe do some like shoulder rolls back. But have you ever noticed where you hold stress in your body? Another question I wrote down is, uh, what are you feeling unmotivated to do? Do you have to do it? Can you delegate it to someone else? Do you need help finding the motivation to get the thing done? Like scheduling a work date or like a Zoom work date with a friend to find the motivation to do the thing, you know, accountability buddies. So yeah, what do you need? To not burn out. Oh, do you need to like meal prep so that you make sure you eating the whole week? You know, Um, I think sometimes when work gets really hectic or when I have like back to back sessions, I won't like eat. I will like skip lunch because I have sessions from like 11 to 5 and then realize that I haven't had lunch. Right. So is building in a break or are like preparing meals so you don't have to stop to cook and just can grab something? Is that something you have to do in order to not burn out? And last but not least, why? And why is for your favorite thing. End your mental health day with one of your favorite things. If it's Thin Mints from your local Girl Scouts, They changed the formula and they don't have milk in them. So (laughs) I've been tearing them up. 
Uh, if it's an entire season of Call the Midwife on Netflix, then you know, <laughs> as long as you checked off E through O, you good, you good. Go ahead and veg out a little bit. Um, I may or may not have watched an entire season of Call the Midwives in one day. I'm, I'm just saying. Whatever it is, though, make space at the end of your day um, to end your mental health day with a dopamine boost or, you know, like a serotonin boost or oxytocin boost, you know, something that is your favorite thing that can kick up those happy hormones that kind of ward off the stress hormones. Okay. So that is my outline for how to take a mental health day. E, emotional to-do list dump. N, take a nap. J, a joy activity. O, outline what you need to not burn out. And Y, your favorite thing. Enjoy your mental health day. Let me know some things y'all do to rejuvenate and not vegetate if y'all take mental health days or if you can't take full days and do like mental health half days. Uh, let me know that too. Uh, I want to know tips and tricks that y'all use as a therapist. I feel like I'm always trying to scave off uh, burnout. So hit me up at QueerWalkPod on all the things or use the hashtag QueerWalk to let me know what y'all do on y'all mental health days to rejuvenate. All right, y'all, I'm going to move it on along to the topic segment. The topic segment is our queer potpourri segment. It's where I talk about everything that don't really fit into the other segments. And I more so have a question for y'all. So (laughs) I don't have any solutions in this topic segment. Just questions. Where do the non-club queers meet? Where? I'm asking for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also kind of for folks that I work with in therapy. I see a lot of like, you know, queer events publicized, but they're always at clubs or bars. It's always a party, a turn up, like a whole big ass function. And I, as an incredibly extroverted person, still find it hard to mingle in those kind of settings. You know, people are lit, lit, lit. Um, They twerking and throwing it back. They came to like sweat their hair out. (laughs) Not really there. You know, it's not, it's not, the music is so loud. You're just like yelling at people. You can't read nobody's lips anymore because everybody got the mask on. It just, it's just really inconvenient to try to oh and the thing about clubs is like people be clicked up like you come with your friends you leave with your friends right like that's that's the rule unless you know you give each other the signal and be like I'm gonna leave with this other person but (laughs) but for the most part people come together stay together leave together it's really not conducive to mingling (sighs) I just don't know where like where do where do queer folks who don't club congregate, especially because I'm in a new city now. This will be my first full like Philly summer. And I want to know, I want to be in the places that I can potentially meet other queer folks. I mean, I think about the, I think about the, the good old standby places, like, <laughs> like the, the bookstores, 
the park, maybe? Like, do the gays be at the park? Um, ooh, brunch queers. Brunch queers is a thing. So maybe hitting up the brunch spots and, um, I don't know. There's like two types of queer people. The ones who be rainbowed out and the ones who never wear rainbow anything. <laughs> so I'm like, how do you signify in those spaces? Like, hello, queers. I'm here to mingle. Um, but yeah, I got to do something. I would love to have like a local queer community. I have, you know, huge queer community, but all my folks are not local. So I'm trying to figure out where do I go? Where do the non-club queers go? I think I'm rapidly aging out of being a club queer. I just, at this point, I feel like I'd be at the parties like a proud auntie. I'd be like, yes, child, you better. Instead of me being the child that's fucking it up, you know? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I went I went um, to see Tank and the Bangas last weekend and I feel like my back needed rehab after. So I'm really not, <laughs> I'm rapidly aging out of the club queer crowd. Um, maybe even aging out of the day party crowd because the way my back is set up now, whoo, uh, I got to start lifting weights or something because this can't be the back I go into, uh, the next year of my life with, um, <laughs> So, yeah, I feel like it's a two-part question. If y'all have any ideas about where the gays might be hiding in a city, um, I'm located in Philadelphia. So, if y'all know a place uh, where, you know, the queers might be, uh, I wish it, there was like a... Okay, so I love Grand Crew, right? The new new show. I think it's new. Um, I watch it on Hulu. I don't know what's... Uh, station it actually comes on but I watch it on Hulu it stars Nicole Byer my fa- one of my faves and um oh my gosh I should really look up these other folks names because they are so hilarious like that I just love the show it's just like a it's just like a a black ass show about nothing and this friend group and I love it I wish there was like a grand crew for queer folks but even that it's like they are at like a winery. <laughs> so I'm like, well, where do you go for folks who maybe are like 21 and under or who don't drink, who don't want to hear any kind of like background music and just want to mingle, just want to like meet other queer folks? I'm just trying to find out where that is. I feel like the, the queer events are very club centric and do I, do I have to do it? Do I have to be like the the book gay to be like, hey, can we all get together in the park and like <laughs> read our favorite June Jordan poem? Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but somewhere I heard whispers that Philadelphia was going to get a WNBA team um, in upcoming years. I definitely know I will be there with season tickets. Um, and if if the queers aren't there, I would be <laughs> shocked. <laughs> But um, in the meantime, any suggestions are welcome, y'all. Any suggestions are welcome. All right, y'all, I'm going to move it on along to the Curved Chronicles segment. This is the segment where I talk about my dating woes and wins or your dating woes and wins. You can submit them to QueerWalkPod at gmail.com or just slide in the DMs and submit your Curved Chronicles there. 
And if I miss your email or your message, my bad, y'all. I'm only human. I am a team of one over here at Queer Walk. So if I miss it, just blame it on my head and not my heart, like the old folks say, you know? All right. So I don't have a direct sort of like um, story time for y'all for this Curve Chronicle. It's just something that I'm really fascinated by and curious about. So I have been on the hunt for a new Strapiana. And I, so obviously looking for a new strap, I was looking into um, adult toy stores, sex toy shops, stuff like that. And I actually saw Dr. Sammy tweeting about this too. I love the fantasy colored toys, right? I don't like the realistic, veiny, balled up things. I don't like those. I like the like ones that look like unicorn horns. <laughs> like, yeah, I just like fantasy colors. Um, yeah, fantasy shapes, all kind of stuff like that. So usually queer or POC sex toy shops have the best ones of those. Um, I think it was in North Carolina I went to this shop. First of all, it was huge. And second of all, they had the biggest um, in-store collection of uh, like fantasy dildos that I have ever seen still till this day. So I figured Philadelphia, a huge city, there has to be a queer or black-owned sex toy shop here. Has to be. Half the city is black. So I'm like, there got to be a black-owned sex toy store. Why are there no black-owned sex toy shops in Philly, y'all? A city that is 50% African the American. <laughs> I'm, I feel like I'm still shocked by that. I, I just... I just didn't expect there to be no black-owned adult toy stores here, especially because, um, you know, Philly has such, like, rich black history, and it's such a black city that, like, something being, quote-unquote, black-owned isn't even a thing, you know, because it's like, everything is black. So, <laughs> so, so of course, yeah, if, if it's not black-owned, it's black-operated, you know, so... It was just shock shocking to me that I couldn't find a toy store that even the pictures online made me feel welcomed as a black queer person walking into. So the the adult toy store scene here seems very white. <laughs> I don't know if I need to edit out that wind sound, but that's how white it, it seems here. And I'm just blown away by that. I'm just very shocked. Um, so if y'all have any suggestions for like places to go for toys in the greater Philadelphia area and maybe have some leads on places that are black owned that I can order from online or anything like that, please let me know because it's it's um it's like a really intimate, vulnerable thing to like be going into adult toy stores anyway, but particularly when, you know, they have that like white vibe <laughs> that make it very clear that like you are the outlier and the out of place person in the room. I don't want that. I don't want that when I'm trying to buy my strap. Okay. So 
I just want to feel comfortable. I want to be laughing and giggling about fantasy colors. I want to see vibrators in shapes that I ain't never even imagined before and just be in black ass peace and comfort while I shop. That's all. So if y'all know any adult toy stores (laughs) that you would recommend, send them my way. And yeah, y'all, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. I guess I did not have as much to say today as I thought I was going to have to say. Um, so yeah, that th- this has been an episode of Queer Walk. Um, let's see. I will be probably at a third of the baby mother concerts coming up. So <laughs> if, if y'all are going to be at any of the baby mother shows in April... Uh, it's a good likelihood that I'll be there too. So y'all just hit me up. I would love to um, say hey to some of y'all at a baby mother show. If you have already seen her, like if you were at South by Southwest or if you were on the like West Coast, because I know she was out on the West Coast, tell me how the show went. I'm so jealous because if I had the the coin and wasn't that afraid of travel because of COVID, I would have been at as many shows as I could afford to flood to. Okay. So really excited to see baby mother all April and <laughs> and to hopefully meet some of y'all at a baby mother show. So yeah, that's what's coming up for me. Um, s- subscribe to the Patreon because I have um, thoughts and things coming that way. Some deep dives on mental health topics including the series on personality disorders that you all requested. Um, So, yeah, make sure you over there um, signing up to become a patron. And I will see y'all next episode. Bye, y'all. This episode of Queer Walk the Podcast was made possible thanks to the monetary contributions of Missy, Megan, and Sandy, who became new patrons, and Reggie, who hit up the Cash App. This episode was also made possible thanks to the encouragement of my friends and my community and to the listeners in Berlin, Germany. Mount Horeb, Wisconsin? WI is Wisconsin? Yeah. Yeah. Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. And Daphne, Alabama. Okay, Alabama. Shout out, Alabama. 